Hello, everybody. It's a Sunday morning podcast recording. Oh, how about that? I'm a poet, too. Bet you didn't know that. All kidding aside, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Timeless Podcast, episode 14. Moving, moving right along. All right. So, hopefully, hopefully, everybody listening had a great week, killed it, crushed it, anything along those lines. Uh, So let's just get right to it. This week's show, since yesterday, I'm recording this Sunday, February 18th for whenever you might be listening to it. Uh, Not that that matters, but since yesterday was Michael Jordan, my favorite athlete's birthday, I thought it would be a good idea for him to be our topic for this week. So our timeless figure is going to be Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Now, I'm going to guess that most of you probably know who Michael Jordan is, depending on who you ask. One of, if not the greatest basketball players ever, uh... Marketing, branding icon extraordinaire. Brand Jordan, I think, does, I don't know, three-some billion dollars in sales. Uh, Just a global icon all the way around, right? Um, So I'm not going to go into too much detail about his biography or who Michael Jordan is. I think most people probably know that at this point. Um... Even if you don't know him from basketball, you probably know him from the Crying Jordan meme that uh, makes its way all across the interwebs. But what we are going to do is go over some things that we can learn from Michael Jordan's life and career and apply them to our own life since... That's what this show is all about, right? Using timeless principles that we can apply to our own lives. So, let's get right to it. So, oh, first of all, Uh, My sources, for those of you who are interested, the quotes that I will be reading are going to come from two books. One is from one of Michael Jordan's own books, uh, Driven From Within, which I think is the last book that he wrote. Uh... 
So those are going to be kind of his his personal insights. Um, the book was, I think, written with and edited by a gentleman by the name of Mark Vansill. So I think this book came out around 2006, I want to say, something like that. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but that'll be the first book, so that'll be kind of his own insights. And then the second book is going to be Playing for Keeps uh, by David Halberstam, which is a biography uh, written about Michael Jordan and his career um, and is one of my... It came, came out in 1999. When This is one of my favorite books of all time. I think it's one of the best sports books ever written. Um, and I'm a huge Halberstam fan. So those are going to be our two sources. All right, so let's get right to it. So, you know, much, you know, a much publicized part of his story is the, you know, getting uh, cut from the varsity team early on in his high school years, uh, you know, wasn't wasn't a prodigy right away. Got cut from uh, got cut from the varsity team and had to play junior varsity. I don't believe made uh, the varsity team until his until his junior year, and uh, that was a great source of of fuel, right, for uh, for Jordan and. You know, we talked a few episodes back about failure was our topic and using failure as fuel and as a way to learn and improve and get better. And obviously that's that's what he did. You know, it used that a very, you know, when, when you're young, when you're in high school, you're all gung-ho, ready to try out, make varsity, you know, that's, at that point, that's really all that matters, right, in your life, you want to be, you know, the big man on campus, and when, when it, uh, you know, the wind, that wind gets taken out of the sails, that could be a crushing blow, but obviously, if you use it the right way, which is what successful people do, great people do, you know, you turn it into a source of fuel, so this is from, uh, this is from playing for keeps and this is his high school friend uh Leroy Smith who was his best friend in high school and uh was actually had made the team the varsity team over over Jordan so this is after he had he had been cut Leroy Smith noticed that while Jordan had been wildly competitive before he had been cut, after after the cut, he seemed even more competitive than ever, as if determined that it would never happen again. His coaches noticed it too. The first time I ever saw him, I had no idea who Michael Jordan was. I was helping to coach the Laney Varsity, said Ron Coley. We went over to Goldsboro, which was our big rival, and I entered the gym when the JV game came was just ending up. There were nine players on the court just coasting, but there was one kid playing his heart out. The way he was playing, I thought his team was down one point with two minutes to play. 
So I looked up at the clock, and his team was down 20 points, and there was only one minute to play. It was Michael, and I quickly learned that he was always like that. So that's, you know, when you... After, some, after a sort of failure, uh, you know, you want to... The right way to respond to it is not by sulking or it's by learning from it or and going out and proving that the others made a mistake uh whoever whoever decided that you know you weren't you weren't right for the position or right for the job or right for the award or right for whatever go out and prove that they made a mistake. And how do you do that? With your, you know, by being competitive, by working hard, by showing, not telling people that you should have been in and how you were wronged. Show them that they made a mistake. Go out and play hard. You know, make it so that it's undeniable what you bring to the table. You don't have to tell anybody about it. You show it. And that's what that, that assistant coach was talking about in that, in that passage, right? That he, they were down 20 points, but there was one kid who was still playing his heart out, still playing as hard as he possibly could, regardless of what the situation was. Be that guy. Be that guy. You know, work. Work and, you know, be determined that the thing that you didn't want to happen, make sure it never happens again. Keep fighting. All right, now how do you go about doing that? Well, you got to work. You know, maybe there was a reason that you got passed over in the first place or you didn't, uh, you know, you didn't get the thing that you wanted to. So how are you going to go about changing that? And proving that those who passed you over were wrong. Because it's not just going to happen. It's not like you can't stay the same and just assume that, oh, it's, you know, it's going to happen. That's, that's not the way it works. You got to, part of proving that you're worth it is by working and improving yourself. So... We're going to skip ahead here. This is to when uh, Jordan's rookie season in the NBA. And this is, this is again, this is from playing for keeps. And they're talking about his practice habits. So it says, this is from the book. He was the first player at every practice and the last to leave. The hardest working NBA practice player any of them had ever seen. The only problem was the degree to which he dominated everyone else. So, first player at every practice and last to leave. That's a way, you know, put in that extra work. That's the way, you know, lead by example. That's the way that you show, you know, if you want to overcome a failure or, you know, trying to get that thing that you want, 
that maybe you were passed over for. Show him. Prove beyond a, be the first one there, the last to leave. Prove beyond any doubt that you're the one for, for the job, for the whatever. Right? For whatever it is you're going for, the way to prove to others that you're worth it is by putting in the work. And that's got to stem from a deep belief, or, or not, not, well, you have to have a belief in yourself, but a deep a passion and love for what it is that you're doing. Because that's, that's going to fuel the work, the early mornings, the late nights, the, all, that, all that stuff. That, that's what's going to fuel it, right, is love. And by every description you hear of, of Jordan was how much, well, yes, obviously very talented, yes, absurdly insane competitor, psychotically competitive, but deep down, what it was all rooted in was a love for basketball. And that's what enabled him to, you know, to drive himself so hard and to want to prove that he was worth being, you know, that the coaches made a mistake by cutting him from the, from the varsity team that, you know... Houston and Portland, when he was drafted in the NBA, that those two teams made a mistake by letting him fall to number three. You know, that those failures and slights that he used to fuel himself, all that is deeply rooted in just a love and passion for basketball and just loving it and wanting to have it consume your life and play it all the time. Uh, and his, um, you know, and I know that he had a, I've heard him talk about having a love of the game clause in his contract to where he could play pickup basketball, whatever he wanted, which, you know, sometimes a lot of, they don't want to, you know, coaches or GMs might try to restrict for fear of injury, but he wasn't having any of it. He just wanted to go out and play and loved, loved playing the game. And that's a huge advantage. You know, you got to, I think, you know, that's another thing we can learn is, and it may take you a while to find it. You know, I think he knew that basketball was his passion from an early age, but you have to have that love, that calling, that, that passion, that's going to drive and be rooted in everything that you do. You know, love is an example of an internal motivation or love and passion for what you do is, uh, which we talked about a couple podcasts ago, right? That's internal motivation, your love for what you do so much that you want to be the best you can be at it. Um, and that's what Jordan had. And so this is uh, back to playing for keeps. Uh, this is his his coach, Kevin Lowry, who was his coach uh, for the Bulls when first came into the NBA. Uh, this is what uh, Lowry comments on or thoughts on Jordan's love and passion for basketball. He was going to be a great player, Lowry thought, not just because of the talent and the uncommon physical assets, but because he loved the game. That love could not be coached or faked, and it was something he always had. 
He was joyous about practices, joyous about games, as if he could not wait for either. Not many players had that kind of love. All too many modern players, Lowry believed, loved the money instead of the game. But Jordan's love of what he did was real, and it was a huge advantage. So, love. Love is the opposite of fear. Love what you do. And, you know, that can be a great source of internal motivation, is having that love and passion and wanting to, wanting to be the best you can be at the game. And, and that's, that's how you prove people wrong. If you, I mean, if, if someone slights you or you think you've been slighted or passed over or whatever, and you don't actually have a deep love for, for what it is that you're doing and, and wanting to improve, you're not going to actually prove them wrong. Because it has to come from more than that. So, all right. Next piece, we are going to talk about improvement and adding things. One of the things about if you kind of watch Jordan's career is, and this you know goes back to work ethic and love in basketball, is. he was always evolving and adding to his game. So if you kind of look at, you look at the first part of his career, you've got your, you know, your highlight reel dunks, the crazy athleticism, the crazy, uh, you know, everything, right? It was just, just an unbelievable athletic specimen and athletic talent. But if you, not that he didn't have that at the end of his career, but, you know, and he was a great all-around player. It's not like he just got by purely on athleticism. He had an exceptional basketball IQ and knowledge of the game, uh, which comes from work ethic and a great uh, college system that he played in in North Carolina. But, you know, if you look at, at the, compare the beginning of his career to the end of his career, his game was much more, you know, played with a, a much greater knowledge of the game, a much greater, you know, not just relying just on athleticism because, you know, father time is, father time is undefeated. And he knew, you know, that he would have to later on in his career would have to evolve his game and add things to his repertoire that, you know, would help him get separation and get by people where he knew, you know, he may, well, for spurts, he could certainly get past people and rely on his athleticism. As he got further on in his career, you know, he wouldn't be able to always rely and get by on just athleticism. So, you know, what kind of became his signature in the latter half of his career, really kind of the the second three-peat, the post-baseball, was a kind of a step back or a fadeaway jumper, which, you know, kind of became almost 
that was kind of his signature at the end of his career where the dunks had been in the and the athleticism had been in the beginning. So you can't just you can't rely on the same way of doing things forever. You have to be able to adapt and add new things to your repertoire. So, uh, this is from the book. Again, this is playing for keeps. Old friends noticed that he was also working particularly hard on a shot that was already a minor part of his repertoire, but that now he was making a signature shot. It was a jumper. He held the ball, faked a move to the basket, and then at the last second jumped up while falling back slightly, giving himself separation from the defensive player. Given his jumping ability and his threat to drive, it was a virtually unguardable shot. It was also a very smart player's concession to the change in his, in his body wrought by time and the fact that he was entering a new stage of his career. He was older and wiser now, and what his body could no longer accomplish in terms of pure physical ability, he could compensate for with his knowledge of the game and of opposing players. Nothing was to be wasted. So that's just kind of a description there of what he was working on to, to add to his game. But that's, again, what, you know, what can I still do, you know, maybe in a, you know, he's playing in a very physical, it's a sport, it's an athletic endeavor, it's very physical. Okay, what's, what can I make up for where my body might be lacking in one area because I'm no longer as athletic as I used to be? What can I make up for? How can I adapt and continue to improve? That is the mark of a great player. And even if you're not in an athletic endeavor, uh, you can still apply that same concept. I mean, if you're, in, if you're in marketing, for example, and you, know, you did things a long way, for, or the same way for a long time, maybe you know, television and print ads, say, well, you know, you see the dynamic is changing. That's, you know, things are moving to, to social, the social media versus print and uh, print ads and, and television ads. So are you just going to keep doing the same thing and try to get by on your expertise in, in uh, that one area? Or are you going to learn social and try to, and adapt to the way things are going? Well, if you want to continue to be at the top of your field, the top of your game, you're going to have to do the latter. You're going to have to adapt, right? So always look for new ways, new things that you can add, new things that you can adapt to your game. Okay, all right, next piece. So this, this is one of my favorite quotes in the book, playing for keeps, and I think this kind of illustrates kind of the essence of who of Jordan's mindset and who he he was or who he is and so a little background on the quote so this is this comes from he's playing golf this is later on in his career at the towards the end of the bulls days playing golf with uh buzz peterson who was the when Jordan was in high school, was the best prospect in the state of, uh, of North Carolina. And 
was more highly regarded prospect that Jordan was coming out of high school and was thought to, you know, he that he was going to be the star player who was going to uh, dominate at uh, at Carolina and be the better player of the two. And, uh, of course, that's obviously not what ended up happening. Um, I know Buzz Peterson went on to have a, I know he went on to a coach at the collegiate level, had a very good career, obviously not basketball-wise, not to the same uh, extent of success, certainly, that, that Jordan did. But what this this next passage is going to outline is, is a great example of, I think, of, of internal and external motivation. Um, you know, Jordan used Peterson kind of as, and the fact that people thought that Peterson was better than him as, uh, as fuel and as a fire to continue to, to improve, um, and get better and show that he was better than Peterson. All right. So to the book, one day out on the golf links while they were waiting to tee off, Jordan told Peterson, I want to thank you for something. What's that? Peterson said, you made me a very, very good basketball player. How? Asked the puzzled Peterson. Well, you were the golden boy of North Carolina basketball and I wasn't. And you were going to be the big starter. And everybody back home was saying that you would start and I wouldn't. All those people had told me that I was never going to play because I was behind you. I was never going to leave the bench. So every day we went to practice at North Carolina, I would tell myself, you've got to be better than Buzz. You've got to improve. You've got to do all the drills better than he does. You've got to shoot better. You've got to work on your defense. Every time there was a drill, I would tell myself that I had to do it better than you. The confession stunned Buzz Peterson, and he was not sure he knew how to answer it. But finally he said, why didn't you tell me then so I could have competed back against you? But later he thought to himself that he had been, by Michael's standard, complacent. He had also been happy to be himself, happy to be at Chapel Hill, and he had not thought you needed to be any better. He was, he decided, missing a certain rage to excel. So that's my favorite passage in this book. And I think it it really does a great job of, like I said before, of capturing that mindset. And I think it's a great example of both external and internal motivation. So that, that rage to excel, that's, that's an internal motivation, 100%. You know, that wanting to be the best player out there, the best player that you can be, I think that's also an example of internal motivation. But he's using some external things to help fuel him and propel him to get there. Which, you know, like I said, when we talked about, I, when we said, talked about internal and external motivation, I said that I believed, and I still think this is true, that external, internal, excuse me, internal motivation is more important. I still think that that's the case. But... But I do acknowledge and I think that external motivation can be very powerful and very important in the short term. Long term, I think 
internal motivation is is what's going to keep you going. That's that rage to excel. That's an internal thing. But, you know, wanting to be the best basketball player in North Carolina in the state when he was in high school and then proving that he was the best player in North Carolina when he was at um, playing against Buzz Peterson at, at University of North Carolina, that is, you know, that's an external motivation and a way to, you know, use that as fuel to improve himself. So I think that's a very good example of showing both and how both can both internal and external motivation can work for you. But I, I think that's a great passage there and uh, just kind of captures that whole competitive essence of who Michael Jordan was or who, who Michael Jordan was as a basketball player, who he is as a person. Um, all right. And then the last Last piece, this is going to be the last passage from Playing for Keeps, and then we'll go and read some quotes from Jordan himself um, from his book. So this this last thing is about, you know, again, this kind of plays out. This is internal drive, that rage to excel, that constant quest of self-improvement and wanting to be better. And so this goes, um, this is about uh, after Jordan's rookie year, going back to uh, to Carolina and asking Roy Williams, who was an assistant coach at North Carolina at the time um, and is now a, now the head coach at the University of North Carolina, uh, won, I think, three national titles now at Carolina. Um but he was him and Jordan were very close, still our close friends. And so Jordan goes back and asks uh, Roy Williams for advice after his rookie year. And this is what uh, what the passage. All right, so to the book. Roy Williams, the Kansas coach, he was coaching at Kansas at the time. Now he's at North Carolina, who had picked up on Michael when he was still back in Laney High School, was at his own camp for high school players in Kansas, watching the game in the coach's locker room. So this is breaking away from the book for a second. Um, this is they're talking about watching the Jordan's last game as a bull, game six of the '98 uh, NBA Finals. Back to the book. He understood better than anybody, better than almost anyone, Michael's indomitable will to excel and to triumph. After Michael's rookie season with the Bulls, when he had been named Rookie of the Year, he returned to Chapel Hill and sought out Williams, the coach he was the closest to in personal terms. He wanted, he said, a private word together. And so the two of them left Williams' crowded office and went to sit on the outdoor bleachers. What do I need to do to work on my game, he asked. Well, Michael, Williams answered, you were just made Rookie of the Year. What more do you need? No, I know you'll be honest with me. What can I do to improve myself, Jordan said. So Williams told him to work on his jump shot. If he could improve his jumper, he would be unbeatable because no one could drop off him. And so he did. And that summer... And in the years to come, everything with Michael Williams knew was the product of design and hard work. He was a great player with the best work ethic he had ever seen, which was why he always rose above everyone else in games like this. It was never by chance. So it was that in the final minute as Williams watched Jordan drive to the basket for the first of his final two killer baskets, he was in no way surprised. 
So another great illustration of, you know, and that's internal drive, wanting to get better, you know, not becoming complacent. Going to your coach after you just had a great rookie season, named rookie of the year, killing the game. You go back to your college coach and you say, what can I improve on? Not resting on laurels, not getting by on, you know, what got you the rookie, the rookie of the year award. What can I improve upon? And then going and executing a plan and working on it so that you're constantly improving, working on weaknesses, turning weaknesses into strengths. And that, that mindset, that, the application of that is how you become great. You know, if he had said, cool, I'm, you know, I'm just going to chill. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm just rookie of the year. I had a great season. You know, probably wouldn't be talking about Jordan in the same way that we do now. But because he had that work ethic, that desire to improve, that's how you become great. Okay, so now we're going to move on to uh, Driven From Within. So these are kind of, these are, uh, this is Jordan's own book written by him and, and Mark Vansel. And then there are some also some quotes from some other people close to him in this book. I'm just going to use the ones that come from Jordan himself. So we can kind of dive deep into, you know, his mindset, how he thought about things and uh, see what we can learn. All right. So this is from Driven From Within. I wanted to prove what I could do. When my play started providing me with rewards, then I wanted to prove I deserved them. I never felt the desire to rest on what I had accomplished. I never felt like I deserved to drive a Bentley when I got my first contract or live in a mansion. Those things might be symbols of success to some people, but there are a lot of people who confuse symbols with actual success. What is le what's left after you get all the money and buy the best car? There's nowhere to go from there. When we won one championship, then I wanted to win two in a row. When we won two, then I wanted to win three in a row because Larry and Magic never won three straight. Nothing of value comes without being earned. That's why great leaders are those who lead by example first. You can't demand respect because of a title or a position and expect people to follow. That might work for a little while, but in the long run, people respond to what they see. They might even listen, but they usually will act based on the actions of the person talking. If the CEO skips out early on Fridays, then he or she has sent a message that tells everyone else they can do the same. I practiced hard every day because I wanted every one of my teammates to know what I expected out of myself. If I took a day off, then I knew they would too. Just like my high school coach, Clifton Pop Herring, used to say, it's hard, but it's fair. I lived by those words. So that is 
you know, it's important. Leading by example is an important thing. That's that's what's going to last, right? And that's, you know, we talked about with Bill Walsh about setting your standard of performance and be uncompromising and living up to that standard. And that's that's the exact same thing that uh, that Jordan talks about right there. So set your standard. Be the standard. Live up to it. And everybody else will follow. Okay, back to the book. You have to be uncompromised in your level of commitment to whatever you are doing, or it could disappear as fast as it appeared. Some players noticed me because of everything I was doing off the court, and that was the wrong reason to pay attention to me. Pay attention to the way I played the game. Pay attention to my passion. Pay attention to the idea of focusing on improvement every day. Pay attention to my commitment. Commitment cannot be compromised by rewards. Excellence isn't a one-week or a one-year ideal. It's a constant. There will be days when you don't feel on top of your game or meetings in which you aren't at your best. But your commitment remains constant. No compromises. So that's a good... So that's internal motivation, right? Be uncompromising in your commitment. You know, excellence, greatness is a process. It doesn't end after one week or even a year. It lasts forever. Well, it should last forever. If you really want, if you want sustained excellence, you have to be committed. And you can't compromise that. You know, and then when he says, you know, he's talking about Players noticed me because of everything I was doing off the court. So the cars, the shoes, the commercials, the fame, that's external. But that's going to fade. Pay attention to the idea of focusing on improvement every day. I don't think you can say it better than that. All right, this is another example of commitment um, that he talks about in the book, and it's about signing a contract and sticking to it. Now, back in the early 80s, players did not make near the money that they do now. Uh, and, you know, you hear stories all the time in sports about playing or you know players complaining or holding out because they want more money or you know whatever the case may be they want more money they they think they're underpaid and so this what i'm going to read next is jordan's view on that and he talks about you know committing to the contract that that you sign all right, so he says, a leader has to be willing to sacrifice to help everyone else to get where a team needs to go. No one could take days off with the Bulls because I never took a day off. Let's see. I Sorry, I earned that responsibility. 
I wasn't making anything close to my value on the basketball court, but I never allowed that to affect the way that I played. My game was not changing, and you never heard me complain about what I was being paid. Once I signed a contract, I moved on. So how could anyone else come to our team and gripe about how much money they were being paid? Pippin never complained about his contract until I was gone. No one complained because I never complained about it. Once I gave my word and signed on the dotted line, I stuck with it. That's what leaders do. They set a standard and everyone else has to live up to that standard if it's a good standard. It's the same in every great organization. So, and now if anyone, if anyone was underpaid in the NBA at the time for what they were producing on the court and off it, it was Jordan. Specifically with his basketball salary, he obviously made up for that in endorsements, but the, that's not the point. The point is, when you sign up to do sign up, you sign a contract, you're committing to doing something. So move, move on. Don't complain about it until it's over. When it's over, you can sign a new deal and get paid what you're worth. But don't complain. Do your job and all the, you know, the money, all that, all the good stuff is going to follow, right? And especially if you're in a leadership position, if you complain about not getting paid what you're worth, then other people are going to start doing it too. You know, leadership trickles down. So make it when you make a commitment, sign on that dotted line, stick to it, and lead by example. All right. Back to the book. I focus on the little things. Little things add up to big things. Bill Walsh talked about that too, attention to detail. You know, just focus on making little constant improvements. Little things, a bunch of little things stacked up on top of each other are going to add up to big things. Okay. All right, so this next thing is, this next passage is about, he's talking about success and about being authentic and true to yourself. To a certain degree, we define success on the basis of fictional attributes. If a guy has commercials, a lot of money, the girls, the car, then he's considered successful, whether his performance matches all those things or not. Success to me has nothing to do with how much money you have or what kind of car you drive. I always wanted to know where I fit in with the best. Authenticity is about being true to who you are, even when everyone else wants you to be someone else. That doesn't mean you don't have to play fair or conduct yourself in a respectful manner, but it's a lot harder to become the best you can be when you're focused on trying to be the best version of someone else. There's nothing authentic in that. And if it's not authentic, then it's not going to last. So success is, and, and not that, I mean, Jordan surely made a lot of money and he's got all the, you know, the things that come with money and success. 
but that's not the driving force, right? It's about being the best that you can be, being authentic, being true to yourself, you know, being who you are, even when other people want you to be someone else. And I, I think that this, I'm going to read this again because I think it's a, it's a great thing to keep in mind. It's a lot harder to become the best you can be when you're focused on trying to be the best version of someone else. There's nothing authentic in that, and if it's not authentic, then it's not going to last. There you go. That's being authentic, being the best version of yourself, internal motivation. Internal motivation lasts. Being the best version of someone else or that something else, someone else wants you to be, that's external. That's not authentic. That's not going to last. Important, very important thing to, to keep in mind. All right, next thing. All right, he's talking about, again, the same thing, being authentic, being true to yourself, being, being true to who you are. I've never been worried about anyone's perception one way or another. I've never allowed anyone's opinion to define me. I'm comfortable with who I am. I trust myself. That's key, important, right? You, there's one opinion that matters the most above all else, and that's your opinion of yourself. You worry about your perception of yourself more than other people's perception of you. That's be comfortable with who you are. You got to trust yourself, trust who you are. Okay. Last passage I have from the book. So this is about, he's talking about a, about fear and specifically a lack of fear, not having fear. I've made some, I've missed some. That's not to say I wasn't nervous. That's always going to be there. But fear, never. There was never any fear for me. No fear of failure. If I miss a shot, so what? Maybe even a shot that, I, that could have won the game. I can deal with that. If I don't miss the shot, then I don't miss it. We win. I can rationalize the fact that there are only two outcomes. You either make it or you miss it. I could think that way because I knew I had earned the opportunity to take that shot. I put in all the work, not only in that particular game, but in practice every day. If I missed, then it wasn't meant to be. That's simple. It wasn't because the effort wasn't there. It wasn't because I couldn't make the shot because I had taken the same shot many times in every situation. As soon as the ball went up, there weren't any nerves because I had trained myself for that situation. I was as prepared as I could possibly have been for that moment. I couldn't go back and practice a little harder. I knew I had done the right things to prepare myself for that situation. One way or another, I knew I was prepared to be successful. Now, if you know you haven't prepared correctly or you know you haven't worked hard enough, that's when other thoughts and emotions creep into your mind. That's stress. That's fear. The same, it's the same process for doing anything anywhere in life, no matter how big or small the stage, whether it's running a corporation, taking a test in second grade, or taking a shot to win a game. At that moment, you are the sum total of all the work you have put in, nothing more 
and nothing less. If you are confident you have done everything possible to prepare yourself, then there is nothing to fear. There's no stress in losing under those circumstances. It just wasn't meant to be. So, I think those are all good words to live by, or to think about, to apply to yourself. You know, what, what's kind of the overarching theme here? Obviously, work like hell, prepare. You know, that's, that's where confidence comes from. It comes from knowing what you're doing. And a, you know, a lack of stress, a lack of fear... You know, if you put in the work, you know you're capable of doing it, then there is no, there's no fear. Nerves, yeah, sure, but there's no fear. And if you miss, so what? You know you can do it, you just didn't do it that one time. You can do it the next time. And, you know, I think that's, that mentality, that approach, I mean, obviously Jordan's known for many signature moments, making clutch shots at the end of games. But he also probably, you know, we don't talk about these, but has missed a lot of shots too. But that didn't matter. Because he knew, he knew he had put in the work. Knew he had prepared as well as he could for that particular game or situation. He was uncompromising in his commitment and his drive, and his love, and passion for basketball. And because of that, he knew that he could deliver when it mattered, when he could, del he could deliver on the biggest stage, because he had put in the work when no one was watching. So you have to put in the work. You have to be a champion when no one's watching. And that will help you be a champion when everybody is watching. So have that love, have that passion, have that rage to excel, that just burning desire to, to be great, to be the, not what other people think is great, what you think is great. Be the best that you can be and define that for yourself and keep driving towards it. Keep adapting. You know, don't ask others what you can Im improve. Even if you've, you know, you've landed a big account or as a salesman or, you know, you won an award at, at work or whatever it is. Ask what you can, you know, ask the people around you what you can do to improve. And that way you won't just be great for one time. You'll be great for an extended period of time if you take that mentality and, you know, constantly look to improve, constantly look to how you can adapt to your game in whatever, whatever it is that you do. Add things to your repertoire because you're not going to be able to do the same things forever. Your body's going to adapt. The world is going to adapt or excuse me, your body's going to change, the world's going to change, you have to adapt to it. So always look for things to add. So, 
I think that is all I've got for today. But uh, a lot of good things that you can learn and apply to yourself from from Michael Jordan's career. Obviously one of the greatest athletes to ever lace up a pair of sneakers, a global icon, but you know, I think just from his mentality, the way he approached his craft, his game, there's a lot to learn from that. So, uh, and I definitely, definitely recommend pick up playing for keeps. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite books. Uh, I am biased because I'm a huge Jordan fan and I'm a huge David Halberstam fan. Uh, but I, it's a great book. It's one of the best, one of the best sports books, um, I've ever read and driven from within is another good one too. It's a shorter, easier, quicker read. Um, but, uh, you get a lot of good insight into, to Jordan's mindset and mentality. So boom, that is it. Thank you to everyone for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Get those notifications. Make sure you don't miss. You don't want to miss out. That wouldn't be cool. You don't want to do that. So hit subscribe. And connect with me on the internet, the interwebs, the online social medias. Instagram is the best place to do it. Place to do it. I'm at Reed R E I D underscore Ebersole E B E R S O L E. Follow, message, comment, anything. Connect with me on there. That's the best place to do it. Uh, by the time the next podcast comes out, um, I'm working on getting. Twitter and Facebook set up for the podcast. Also, uh, that will be just for the podcast specifically. It's not going to have, it won't be under my name, but, uh, we'll have that set up. So more places to connect, but take the lessons from today, apply them to your life, kick ass, take names, become the best version of yourself become timeless. We're not in this just for a day, for a year, not even for a decade. We're in it for the long haul. Sustain greatness, however you define it. That's what we're after. All right. I love you all, Timeless Nation, podcast family. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody have a great week, and we will talk to you next time. Peace.